Psalm 16. Protect me, God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have nothing good besides you. As for the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones. All my delight is in them. The sorrows of those who take another God for themselves will multiply. I will not pour out their drink offering of blood, and I will not speak their names with my lips. Lord, you are my portion and my cup of blessing. You hold my future. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who counsels me, even at night when my thoughts trouble me. I always let the Lord guide me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices and my body rests securely. For you will not abandon me to Sheol. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. You reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I say thanks be to God today, amen, for his word. Would you pray with me? Oh, holy, holy, holy. It's the Lord God Almighty. Father, you are so holy, and yet in this moment, you are so near. We sense you in this space, in this room. We sense your voice speaking, your presence wooing us in, drawing us to yourself. Thank you for your word that's been preserved for our instruction, our inspiration to give us life in Christ. As you open up your word, will you speak to us? We thank you that you are a speaking God and may we be a listening people to the sweetness of your voice. Thank you that we could sing praise to you, God. No one like you, the King of glory. We bow before you, Jesus. Be honored, be exalted, as only a king is worthy of. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, welcome to church. We welcome you to Bentry. Maybe this is your first time or this is your normal place that you just go to every Sunday morning. Whichever one of those you are, we're so grateful that you are here. Where are all the dads at? Fathers, make some noise. Come on. Yeah, woo. We love our dads. Happy Father's Day to you dads. We're so grateful for you and your leadership in our world, your heart to serve, your heart to give, just the integrity with which you lead your family. Our world needs it. And you are shaping culture all around you. To those in your family and to those beyond your family, we thank God for godly men, for godly dads in our families and in our church. We're in a psalm series going through some of the psalms and at least 73 of the 150 psalms were written by David who himself was a dad. Now David was not a perfect dad. In fact, if you had to write a biography on a dad, you probably wouldn't pick David. May not be your dad of choice. 
He made tons of mistakes, did a lot of things that he wished he could undo. But when God talks about David, God does not refer to David by his failures nor his victories. God refers to him as a man after God's own heart. Because ultimately, that's what matters, men. The greatest impact you can have in your world, what God values the most from you, what your families need the most from you is an open, vulnerable, even imperfect pursuit of the Father's heart. And as you pursue God's heart in response to his steady pursuit of your life, you are going to leave a lasting legacy, the greatest impact for those around you. So let's give it up for our dads one more time today. Amen. We love you, dads. Amen. Thank you for joining us from your home, wherever you are. Thank you so much for carving out this space to be with us with the gift of technology. We hope to see you in person soon, but we're so grateful that we can be connected together in this moment. Hey, didn't Steve and Tammy do an amazing job last week bringing us God's word? That was awesome. While they were teaching, I got to go around and see our family ministry all over the building, and I was so impressed and so grateful for the servants that are leading, for the students and children that are learning God's word. We have an amazing ministry to your entire family. We ought to just thank God for that, because that's rare to find. We praise God for that. We are in week three of a series we're calling Comfort in Chaos, as we are looking into the Psalms to be strengthened, to be comforted in a world that's chaotic and even broken. Now, you may have various sources of comfort. For me, it's a freshly ground coffee. Mm. I can almost hear it. I can almost smell it. I don't remember a whole lot on the night that my wonderful wife, Stacy delivered our firstborn child, Avery, but I do remember the coffee station at the hospital. Like... <laughs> Whoever nurse or doctor was in charge of the coffee, they were a saint from, from the Lord. I remember the smell, and my wife did the hard job of pushing out a baby. I did the hard job of staying caffeinated all night long. It was a source of comfort. At home, Stacey and I, what we have is called a golden hour. It's when both kids are asleep. Mm. Dishes are all clean, the toys are picked up, and we can finally sit back on the couch, put our feet up, and take a sigh of relief. It's the golden hour of Comfort. Now, you may have whatever you go to for comfort, but we know that comfort in those ways don't last. But here's what David says in Psalm 119 about the way he is comforted. Psalm 119, verse 114, the paraphrase in the message reads like this, you, God, are my place of quiet retreat. I wait for your word to renew me. A few verses down in verse 50, David says, this is my comfort in my affliction, not beyond or after, but in the middle of my chaos, my storm, my affliction, your promise has given me life. As much as I love coffee, what would do my soul more good? To run to the word of God when I need renewal, when I need strength, when I need revival in my being. God is saying, come, wait for my word to renew you, to comfort you in a way that lasts. Because the scripture writers have a way of voicing our pain. They have a way of articulating the chaos, the storm that we go through because they went through it as well. So today we're going to be opening up Psalm 16, written by David. And here in Psalm 16, David opens a psalm by praying a prayer that I know for certain you have prayed. Through a pandemic, through whatever your life has been under, you have prayed this prayer. Guess what? Even if you're not a Christian, you've prayed this prayer. 
We've all prayed this prayer. So notice how David begins Psalm 16, verse 1. Protect me, God. Other translation says, keep me safe, O God. Preserve my life, for I take refuge in you. By show of hands, how many of you have ever prayed this prayer? Protect me, keep me safe. Yep. We're all in this together with David. This plea, this desperate cry of needing God's protection, needing his safety. See, David is a man after God's own heart. He is incredibly favored by God. But even a well-loved man like David is in a predicament in life. He's in a condition where he longs for the protection of God. He's in such chaos that he's pleading with God for protection. This reminds me of what we said in week one of this series. Of this series, Life with Christ is not a life without chaos. Life with Christ is not a life without chaos. Following Jesus is not a ticket to a problem-free world. Because David here is saying, God, I know you, I love you, but still, I need protection in life. Most scholars agree that this phrase, this psalm, is not really directed at one particular danger in David's life because he doesn't give us any more details beyond this verse. But rather, this is a plea, this is a prayer that marked David's whole life. Whether as a little shepherd boy or as a mighty king in Israel, David constantly needed the protection of God. I teach my almost two-year-old son, Liam, to pray this prayer. God, protect me. And I, as a grown man in my 30s, still pray this prayer. God, keep me safe, protect my family, protect our church. Why? Because we never outgrow our need for God's protection. Never. No matter how strong you are, how put together you might be, how wealthy you are, how healthy you are, you need to find refuge in the protection of God Almighty. So David doesn't go into the details of the danger, but he does give us ways in which God protects us. So the title of this sermon today is God's protection in your chaos. Not after it, not beyond it, but in the midst of your chaos, how does God protect you? What does he do? What does he say? What does he put around you to protect you in chaos? So let's look at verse two. David says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. In the English translation, the word Lord appears twice. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. But in the Hebrew, notice how this verse reads. I say to the Lord Yahweh, you are my Adonai. Apart from you, I have no good thing. See, David uses two titles for God, two names of God in this one sentence. He says, I say to Yahweh, you are my Adonai. The word Yahweh denotes a God that's personal. This is his personal divine name. And all across the Old Testament, when God makes a covenant with somebody, he comes and shows up as Yahweh. I am the God of covenant. So here, David is not reaching out to some mysterious, some mysterious force out there, some high energy out there somewhere. He is calling God by his most personal name. He's saying, God, my Yahweh, the one that I'm in covenant with, the one that I have a relationship with, the one that's committed in covenant to me, I say to Yahweh, you are my Adonai. The title Adonai for God refers to his sovereign rule. 
his authority in the world. It emphasizes the fact that God is in control. He is Lord of every single thing. So David is saying, God, not only are you a personal God who is committed in covenant with me, but you are in absolute control of my life. Yahweh, you are Adonai. Naturally, there's something even more fascinating happening in the first two verses of the psalm. In verse one, when David says, protect me, God, he uses the word Elohim. So within two verses, you have three distinct names and titles of Almighty God. And notice the progression in the midst of, da- in the midst of danger that David takes. Elohim, my God who is creator God, strong, big, powerful. I say to Yahweh, yes, you're strong and big, but you're also personal. You are committed. You are near to me. And I say to Elohim, who is Yahweh, you are my Adonai. Yes, you're big, you're strong, and you're personal. And guess what? He is in absolute control of everything in my life. Isn't that good news that that is who your God is? Here's what I think David is essentially doing. In the midst of danger, David is not naming his issues. He's naming his God. Come on, somebody, that'll preach right there. He's not naming his problems. He's not processing his problems. He is praising God in the midst of danger. Because you and I, like David, we can be tempted in the midst of a diagnosis, in the midst of bad news, to start Googling our way. Oh man, this is what's going on. I gotta tell everybody, I gotta seek the experts of people who know nothing about this problem. (laughs) We build anxiety and we go down this downward spiral of the issues that we have. David gets ahead of that. And here's what David teaches us about how God protects us, that God stays in control even when life is spinning out of your control. That Elohim, creator God, he's strong enough for you. He is Yahweh, he's big, but he's personal, committed to you. And he is Adonai in the midst of surprises and chaos. He is in absolute control. And he declares that first. He pronounces the names of God, building confidence in his soul that the cause of his chaos isn't in control, but the God he serves is in absolute control. You remember in Isaiah 6, It begins with saying the King Uzziah has died. And for Isaiah, this is great turmoil. This is a personal crisis. This is a national crisis. This is a religious crisis. King Uzziah has been the faithful, amazing king for over 52 years. He brought stability and peace and growth and prosperity among Israel's neighbors and enemies. But now this king is dead. Isaiah's world is falling apart. King Uzziah literally means strength. So it's the idea that my strength is failing me. My certainty is failing me. I have nothing to hold on to. But notice what Isaiah says in chapter 6, verse 1. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And that word Lord is Adonai. I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne. And the hem of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah is saying, my human Lord has died, but I saw the real Lord who will never leave me. My human strength has failed, but I see the certainty of an immovable king who cannot be dethroned. Yes, I'm in crisis, but at the same time, my God is in control. Imagine this. 
How is God seated? How is he visibly here? He's not pacing back and forth. He's not perplexed. He's not disturbed. He's not surprised. He's not discouraged. He's not frustrated. He's not twiddling his thumbs wondering what to do. God is not standing. He is not walking. He is seated. It's a symbol of absolute authority. Absolute sovereignty. He is totally in control of this moment. So Isaiah says, yes, this crisis has happened, but I see the Lord seated. And it's not the other way around. It's not, yes, I see God seated, and oh my goodness, this crisis has happened, and all my attention is deterred to here. No, I'm glancing at the issue, the crisis, but I'm gazing at God. He is seated on the throne. And I would even venture to say that Isaiah needed his human certainty, this king, to be removed from his vision so that he could see the vision of his true king. Isaiah's chaos, your chaos, my chaos, is actually the thing that tears the veil, that hinders us from seeing the majesty, the power, the sovereignty of God. So David pleads for safety, and he's immediately taken into the certainty, the character, the immovability of God. He is Elohim. Yahweh, my Adonai, he's always in control. And that's just verse two of this song. <laughs> he continues in verse two, I say of the Lord, I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is my delight. David, as a king, is surrounded by multiple counselors and advisors, but he looks at the noble ones who are walking with God, and he says, that's a layer of protection for me. So when I'm not sure what to do, I'm going to those in the land who are walking with God. So yes, God is strong, powerful, but as a layer of protection, David realizes God has placed me in the context of community through which God speaks, through which he leads me. So I would even say this, God calls us one of the layers of protection he gives to us, absolutely in control, Lord of our life, but he also calls us into life-giving relationships so that we don't walk through chaos alone. You don't have to be by yourself, walking through the midst of chaos and turmoil by yourself. I've often said it like this, the life change happens in life exchange. Life change happens in life exchange. Yes, this is amazing, I'm grateful that you're here, but when you're in a group, in rows, rather, rather than rows, in circles, you're sharing life with people. You're sharing your struggles. You're with a group of people who love God and love you. You are fully known. You are fully accepted. And they're speaking life into you. That's where real transformation takes place. And sometimes we can be so spiritual to think, well, I'm good with God. That's all I need. I don't need the church. I don't need a group. I don't need anybody else. But you know that even God himself exists in Trinity, the community of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus came to planet Earth, he surely didn't need anybody, but what was the first thing he did in his earthly ministry? He found a small group of 12 people. One of them will betray him, but he got a small group together. <laughs> but even Jesus didn't want to do life alone, and neither should we. Sometimes we're praying for strength, and God has surrounded you. Look around you, this army of people. And he said, you need people, and they need you. I was talking to Michelle Harrell, who's a pastor of care and counseling this week here at Venturian, and she was telling me about the groups that exist here, support groups. 
Guys, we have groups for every single person in the world. Whatever they're going through. We've got a group for people dealing with grief, with mental illness, with cancer, with Alzheimer's, with domestic abuse, people struggling to be free from fear, anger, addiction. In July, we're launching brand new groups for teenagers who are struggling with anxiety and depression. We have divorce care and divorce care for kids. And outside of all that, we have an amazing pastoral staff and a counseling ministry fully available to you. You don't have to walk through chaos alone. You can find comfort in the people that God has right now put you in a community with. Steve Frizzell said it like this so well. He said this week, there is unique fellowship in suffering. There's a deep connection, fellowship in suffering. So we would love to be an army of people who come around you. People have gone through what you've gone through or who are going through it now to speak life to you, to speak comfort to you. And one of God's protection, yes, he's in control. And he surrounds you, takes you out of isolation and puts you into community. David is saying, this is a community in whom is my delight. The noble ones in the land, those that are pursuing God, loving God, and love me as well. He continues in verse 4. The sorrows of those who take another God for themselves will multiply. I will not pour out their drink offerings of blood, and I will not speak their names with my lips. David is referring to a time in ancient Israel where even the true followers of God or the followers of the true God, when they were disappointed with how God was treating them, when their prayers were not heard, when they were not getting the results or the outcome they were hoping for, they would go to pagan gods in the region. So maybe one harvest was low this year or the rain was lacking. They would run to a local pagan god and offer sacrifices in hopes of a response from a god they already knew was false. Now we don't have pagan gods we run to, but we have our own coping mechanisms. We have our alternatives, our Places of comfort we turn to when we feel like God's taking a little too long and we take matters into our own hands knowing that they're not going to deliver, knowing they're false, and still we hope in things that just aren't going to be true. I mean, I've seen the infomercial for a $9.99 product that's going to make you lose 50 pounds. I wish it was true, but they just don't deliver. But yes, we are so quick. We are prone to turn to alternatives. But notice what David says next. God, there's a group of people who are running after false gods. But verse 5, Lord, you are my portion and my cup of blessing. You hold my future. The boundary lines have fallen from me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who counsels me. Watch this. Even at night when my thoughts trouble me, I will always let the Lord guide me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. In the midst of a temptation to turn to another direction, to turn to another source, David is staying committed to God. And he's saying, God, regardless of what the outcomes of my life may be, you are my portion. You're not a God who just gives me blessing. You are the cup of my blessing. And as the youngest in his family, David probably would have received no inheritance from his father. But he looks to God and says, you are my inheritance. What he's doing is saying, God, my comfort isn't based on the answer to my prayer or the results that I'm longing for. My comfort is simply in who you are. My portion, my blessing, my inheritance. David is deeply satisfied with God alone. 
See, God protects us by being our satisfaction rather than doing things merely for our satisfaction. He is our satisfaction. He is our goodness. Amen. This is what the psalm writer says in Psalm 73, verse 28. But ask for me, and I want you to make this declaration in your heart. Ask for me, God's presence is my good. Other translation says God's nearness is my very good. His voice is enough for me. His presence is enough for me. So I'm not looking to other things that God could possibly do for me to be pleased with him. He alone is my portion. I think about how many times I've placed my soul in jeopardy and my life in danger when I'm looking for other things to fulfill a longing deep in me. That's when my heart becomes susceptible. That's when my soul is opened wide to the harmful things of the enemy when I'm no longer satisfied, content, deeply immersed with the goodness of God. And David says, for your protection, God is your satisfaction. He is the one who meets all the longings deep inside of you. Mary Gardner Brainerd said this, she wrote a poem about the unknowns and it was a poem about uh, the unanswered prayers and the unknowns of the future and the things that we just can't understand about walking in darkness, about not seeing the results we're hoping for. And she penned these words. I would rather walk in the dark with God than go alone in the light. I would rather walk with him by faith than walk alone by sight. That's the protection for you. Say, God, I'm walking with you no matter what. If I could be here in the light with everything going well, but with your absence, or here everything is falling apart, but I got your presence, I'm choosing to walk with you in the dark. I'd rather have you with me in the pain than be by myself in pleasure. I'd rather you be with me in the turmoil and the storm than have tranquility and all of these things here because it's your presence that's my comfort. Your voice is sweet to me. That's what the scripture writers say. Draw me to your word through which the living and active presence of God becomes so near and so alive. David brings us to a close in Psalm 16 and it gets even better. There's a saying, everybody wants to go to heaven but nobody wants to? Nobody wants to die. We fear death. And even the process of dying and all of the implications. And often when we say, God, protect me, ultimately we're saying, God, keep me from death. <laughs> keep me from things that can take my life. Well, David addresses that very fear that most of us live with. He says in verse 9 of Psalm 16, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My body also rests securely. For you will not abandon me to Sheol. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. Now at face value, when you read this line from David, it sounds like he thinks he's never going to die. Well, we know David dies. In fact, the Bible tells us he dies in 2 Kings 2.10. Then David rested with his ancestors. Goodbye, David. He died one day. And it wasn't like he didn't know he was going to die. Second Samuel, Nathan actually prophesies to David, one day you will rest with your fathers, but from your lineage will come one who will rule forever, he will reign forever, and he will overcome death. So this confidence in Psalm 16 that my body isn't going to see decay, that I will not be abandoned, is not in David's lack of dying. 
No, he is prophetically speaking into the future about the day the Messiah would arrive and the day that this king, this savior, would save humanity from the finality of death itself. He is looking towards one day and knowing that Messiah is going to conquer the grave. He's going to conquer death. And in his resurrection is my resurrection one day. So I may be buried, but I'm not going to stay there. He will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. So fast forward a thousand years, Jesus shows up on the scene. He lives, he dies for our sins, he is buried in the grave, and then he rose from the dead. Amen. Then on the day of Pentecost, yeah, that's good news, that's why we're here. Then on the day of Pentecost, Peter gets up and gives his first sermon about who Jesus was. And guess what passage of scripture he picks for his sermon text? Psalm 16. So today I want to read you an excerpt of this sermon. It's a little bit lengthy, but if you don't like my sermon, you can't go wrong with Peter's sermon. (laughs) So here's a bit of his sermon. Acts 2, verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. The Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. Here's the good news. God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. For David says of him, here's a quote from Psalm 16. I say the Lord, I saw the Lord ever before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My tongue rejoices. Moreover, my flesh will rest in the hope because you will not abandon me in Hades or allow your Holy One to see decay. You have revealed to me the paths of life. You will fill me with gladness in your presence. Now Peter explains in verse 29, brothers and sisters, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch dead. He is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was her prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. And seeing what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned in Hades, and his flesh did not see or experience decay. God raises Jesus, and we are all witnesses of this. We can just end the service, do an altar call, and go home right there. Christ died, he rose from the grave, and we are witnesses of this. The current tally for deaths due to COVID is 600,000. Statistically speaking, many of you probably know somebody whose life was taken during this this pandemic. Even beyond it, you know people who are no longer here for whatever reasons. Maybe on this Father's Day, you're thinking about your dad who is not here. Maybe he passed away. Maybe your son. And as a dad, you're mourning their loss. David ends Psalm 16 addressing one of our greatest fear of death, of dying. But he allows our eyes to see beyond the grave. And he says, look to Jesus, the Messiah that's risen. And here's what David's saying. David is not saying that we're going to be saved from death. David said, no. You may not be saved from death because unless Jesus comes back before we die, we're all going to die. That's okay. But here's what it's saying. God may not deliver you from death, but he will deliver you out of death. 
Because Jesus, not death, has the final say. He may not deliver you from death, but he will deliver you out of death. Because Jesus has the ultimate say. And here Peter picks up Psalm 16 and he says, look at Jesus who ended the pains of death. Death had its grip on humanity for all time. But here through Jesus who died, who overcame the power of sin, who was buried and rose to life, death no longer has the final say. So death no longer was an abyss. It's a door of hope. Through death, we Christ followers have incredible hope because at death and through death, we get an upgrade. That's what it is. In fact, if you are a Christ follower, you never die. Billy Graham said it like this. One day the newspapers will read, I'm dead, but don't you believe it? I am more alive than ever before. (laughs) Because our body sheds away, but the corruptible takes on incorruptible. The mortal takes on immortal, and we are face to face in the physical presence of Jesus forever and ever. So death isn't your last say. You don't have to fear death, even if death comes from you. Your risen Savior delivers you straight out of the grave and into his presence forevermore. So what can we ever be afraid of? What can separate us from the love of God? Can height nor death or angels nor demons or present things or things to come? Can life or death? Nothing. We are safe, secure in the love of God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was an amazing pastor in Germany who lived during the Nazi regime. And because he helped other pastors be rescued from the Nazi tyranny, he was arrested. And just before the end of World War II, he was taken to the gallows to be executed. And on his way to the gallows, he looked at the soldier, the guard who took him, and he said, I'm not afraid. Death is simply the last station on the journey to freedom. I've just come to my last stop on the journey to freedom. David began this psalm with a plea of protection, but he ends it with a note of trust and thanksgiving. He says in Psalm 16, 11, you reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. The word you reveal the path of life, that life is actually plural, so it's really referring to eternal life, life unending, life upon life. David looking forward to Jesus who would come says, one day you're going to show me, you're going to reveal, you have revealed to me the path of eternal life, life to come, life unending. But can I tell you, you and I are an advantage that David didn't have. David looked forward to the revelation to come of eternal life, But on this side of the cross, we don't look forward to the path to life being revealed. We look back at Jesus. The Bible says he is the final and full revelation of God. And Jesus said what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we're not looking forward to the path of life. In Christ, we have life. We're not looking for signs and arrows for life. Christ is our life here in the new covenant. So this means that really for us, eternity has already begun. This uninterrupted life with God, the presence of Jesus has already begun. His eternal pleasures are for your taking. He has revealed life to you in Christ. So if we are in Christ, his pleasures are unending, his joy is unending. 
So when you look at Psalm 16, yes, this is a prayer for protection. But it's also a confidence to say, through Christ, I am already protected. So we pray for protection. At the same time, we thank God that we are protected. Why are we protected? God is Elohim. He's Yahweh. He's Adonai. He's big for me. He's personal to me. And he's always in control. I have nothing to fear. Why am I protected? Because God puts people around you to steer you, to protect you, and through their voice in your life, through their leadership in your life, through God's word being spoken over you, God protects you. As God is your satisfaction, he meets your longing, your heart is fully overjoyed, content in the goodness of God. You are protected from temptation, you are protected from the schemes of the enemy because Christ is your supreme treasure. And even in the face of death, you can look at it and say, Christ has overcome. The power of sin is broken. The finality of death itself has been overcome. Jesus is victorious. Will you stand with me today? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine the cause of your chaos today. What is it that's causing you chaos? Hopefully it's not the person sitting next to you, but maybe it's something else. Here's what I want you to do. Would you close your eyes with me? Even at home, you can do this. Look at what's causing you chaos and simply today say to it, you are not in control. Jesus is in control. Even out loud, just begin to speak to it. Reframe your perspective as David did. Just call out the names of God. He's Elohim. He's strong for me. He's big for me. He's personal to me. He is a covenant-making God, and he is a covenant-keeping God. Nothing will take me out of the hands of my Savior. He is with me now in life, and he will be with me through life and beyond it. He is for my kids. He is with me in my marriage. He's with me at this crisis in my job. He never leaves. And even if the people I love the most walk out on me, Christ, you are my satisfaction. The disappointments of life don't overwhelm me because Jesus, God, you are my portion at the end of the day. You're the cup that overflows. You are the cup of my blessing. My inheritance, it's all in you. We're not alone. We got an army of people to share in our suffering together as we look towards the hope of the resurrection. Your loved ones who have died, if they were in Christ, they're at the right hand of God enjoying the sweetness of eternal pleasures forever. Today, if you're far from Christ, if you're not in Christ, you need the protection that Jesus alone can offer you. He's paid the price for your sin. He has gone to a cross so that you wouldn't have to pay the penalty that we all owed God. Today, he's saying, will you let me satisfy your desire. I made you. I know you better than you know yourself. Friend, I'm simply offering you Christ, the risen Jesus, who has ended the pains of death once and for all. He doesn't just show you the life. He is your life. And with him, your eternity can begin today. So Father, 
We pray for protection and we thank you. We are already protected. There's no refuge big enough but God. No stronghold mighty enough but God. So today in the midst of chaos, in the year King Uzziah died, whatever our Uzziah, whatever our strength, whatever our certainty in life is, we see Adonai. We see the Lord seated in absolute control, sovereignty, rule, and reign. Elohim, Yahweh, Yah, Adonai. You're big enough for us and you're personal to us, keeping covenants for generations to come, overcoming even death itself. Thank you for the confidence that we have in our risen Savior. Woo hearts today. Draw people to you, Lord. God, if we have turned to anything else to satisfy us, forgive us. We repent. God, we turn to Jesus in whom is our identity, our joy, our satisfaction. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, church. Let's give Jesus an ovation of praise today. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. I want to just remind you, you've got a next step to take. For some of you, it is to say yes to following Jesus, to quit doing life your own, saying, God, be my life, be the boss of my life, be the Lord, fulfill me. Today, if that's you, would you meet us in the Welcome Center in the prayer room? We've got ministers ready to pray with you to help you take your next spiritual decisions. Maybe you've got questions. What is this all about? How do I join this group, one of the support groups that maybe I mentioned? We would love to help you take your next step. Maybe it's to find a place to serve. Join us in our next step area, the Welcome Center in the prayer room. I want to just remind you this week and this month, we have an opportunity to worship God through our giving. I want to remind you when you give to God, whether it be online or at the boxes by the doors as you leave and drop off of whatever it is that you brought to the Lord or automated give, make it a moment of worship. Make it a moment to say what God said through David. Lord, you are my portion, not my resources, not my wealth. You are my inheritance. And this is a step of faith. It's a step of trusting and treasuring Jesus. So thank you for the way you're worshiping faithfully in your generosity towards God's kingdom work. This week, there are going to be kids and families all around our campus for FADC. It's going to be amazing. Any servants in the Zoom, any families that are going to be participating, it's going to be awesome. Be praying for every child that comes through, every family from our community that's going to be blessed. May God draw them close to them. We love you. Have a great Sunday. Take care. We'll see you next week.